cliffhangers. Not the literal ones and not the cereal bar, but the device used to tell the story, to pause the tale at the moment that will bring the listener back to hear the remainder. This is what Jeremy left us with last week. We know that God is the vine and we are the fruit-bearing branches, but what is the fruit we're to bring into the world? It's love. As Jesus' branches, as Jesus' branches, get that? We are to be grafted into his love. God's love flows into us through our connection, and we carry love through our branches, curling tenderly into blossoms that bring forth the nurturing fruit of love. Love draws us to God, and love draws God to us. Notice God's love comes first, and then we are to love others. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Why does Jesus command us to do this? It's joy. He desires to completely fill us with his joy. I think all of us could use a little joy vaccine right now, don't you? (laughs) How do we get this joy? All we have to do is love. That's so easy, right? Not really. (laughs) Writer, professor, feminist, and social activist, Bell Hooks, points out, everywhere we learn that love is important, and yet we are bombarded by its failure. In the realm of the political, among the religious, in our families, and in our romantic lives, we see little indication that love informs decisions, strengthens our understanding of community, or keeps us together. This bleak picture in no way alters the nature of our longing. We still hope that love will prevail. We still believe in love's promise, most of the time. What does love look like? Well, honesty, affection, companionship, respect, openness, vulnerability, patient, kind, not envious, not demanding its own rights, putting others before ourselves. Not in a self-denigrating way, but with a constant thought of, is this good? Is this kind? Is this best? We all want to be loved and to love. Researcher Brene Brown states our need for love. A deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all men, women, and children. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. My deepest experience of human love and joy has been Griffin and Ella. Even before the moment they were placed in my arms, I wept with delight at the miracle that they were and loved them with a fierceness I had not thought possible. I would do anything for them. Brandi Carlisle sings in her song called The Mother, 
The first things that she took from me were selfishness and sleep. She broke a thousand heirlooms I was never meant to keep. She filled my life with color, canceled plans, and trashed my car. But none of that is ever who we are. Her words are so true. Love is a purifier. Some things you thought were important just melt away, and you can't believe you once thought that they were paramount. Love is not stuff. Love is not schedules. Love is certainly not convenient. Love makes us want to give and give again. And some things are harder than others to give. We all have a hundred love stories in our hearts. Friends, parents, partners, children, pets, siblings. What is your own fullest experience of love? The love we're talking about in this passage is constancy itself. It is powerful. It has depth. It is a choice of acting for the well-being of others It is more action than feeling. And sometimes it involves sacrifice. It is God's love for Jesus and us. A parent's love for their child. Beloved, let us love one another. Because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. I want to share this image with you that Evan is going to put on the screen. And for the very few of you that are here in the building, I had copied off some so that you could have it in front of you. This is a hand-carved and printed lino cut called Mother and Child by Megan Sutman, a U.S. artist. Take a moment to really look at it. Look at the figures that are depicted. How are they relating to one another? Is there a figure that you identify with in this? How does this image help you see God, Jesus, yourself? What I notice is how everything leads me to the two figures, mother and child. Everything curved into them. Eyes gazing into eyes and the child's wee hand clasped tightly around the neck of its mother. And the parent's arms surrounding, supporting the child. All the while around them, plants grow, the sun shines, but they are in such a tender moment that exists only for the two of them. Thank you, Evan. When we look at Christ's example of love, what do we see? Jesus loves with deep compassion. Jesus heals the sick and the blind. He is an ally 
and an activist for those suffering from oppression and prejudice. He values everyone, regardless of gender, age, race, ethnicity, social, social orientation, or sexual orientation. Jesus listens. He encourages and teaches. Jesus shows up, walking and eating and washing and cooking and praying for and with his friends, and then dying for each and every one of us. No greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. We are rarely, if ever, called on to literally lay down our life for our friends, but there are ways to lay aside our life to be with a friend. A loving friend is supportive, listens, is trustworthy, doesn't always agree, but is respectful. There's give and take. Even if we don't have this kind of friend, we can desire to be this kind of friend. A friend who shows up, who sits, who is present. Presence. It means so much. It means love. John tells us that we are Jesus' friends if we do as he commands. To bear the fruit of love. We're not considered his servants, working because we have to, but we obey because of our love for him. This is a love that creates reciprocity rather than hierarchy. Christ has learned from his parent, and then he shares the learning and instruction with us so that we may love each other more fully, more completely. Love each other. This is a phrase that my children grew up hearing over and over and over again. When they were young and they would be angry with one another and fighting, they would, in their anger, be saying mean words and biting and kicking and scratching and sometimes even spitting. I would break it up with tears in my eyes, yelling, love each other. It paints a pretty funny picture now. But I said this phrase knowing that down the road, they would need each other. We need our relationships, our friendships, to be there to weep with, to laugh with until tears roll down our face, to share our memories that no one else really will understand. I passionately wanted Griffin and Ella to share the love I had for them with each other. Think about the times we see Jesus angry in Scripture. I mean really angry, rage-quit, table-flipping angry. Some might think his anger is the opposite of love, but it isn't. This isn't a childish anger. This is not, and I clarify, this is not an abusive anger. It is a righteous anger. It is an extension of his love for us. His anger comes from an aching heart, an aching heart for the rebel who seeks to return home, at seeing religious corruption and leaders who set up impossible rules for followers to get to God. For when children, women, and the sick are kept away from him, when he witnesses judgmentalism, and especially the human condition, seeing people suffer. Jesus is empathy personified. How do we love like Jesus? How do we bear the abundant fruit of love to this city, 
and beyond. Professor of Theology and Religious Studies, Reverend Naomi Washington Leapart, asks, We have hung the right flags outside. We have installed the right lawn signs. But have we anticipated the presence of those we claim to include? Have we failed to consistently and fully account for, and I mean invest in, the needs of those we claim to welcome? How would folks know that we've been waiting specifically for them. Well, at First Baptist Church, we have been asking ourselves this question for a while now. We're trying to do that as a church as well as individuals. We're attempting to do this with our identity statement. We try to do this every Sunday morning through our worship and our Zoom gatherings, with our supportive missions and outreach, with our children and our youth ministries, our Camden and Bolivian works, broader affiliations like the Alliance of Baptists and Generous Space, congregational life phone calls and porch visits, and a hundred other ways that we might not even be aware of. Last week, at the end of the service, right as Jeremy was about to say the sending, we heard a voice. Perhaps you noticed a moment's hesitation in the live stream. Someone was standing by the open window saying, Hello! How do I get inside the church? I can't get inside! As Jeremy continued, three of us went to the door and opened it up. Here was a man who had heard our hymn singing through the window and wanted to come in and hear more. We explained it was the end of the service, but that he was welcome to come in and hear the last piece of music, Gerald's postlude. So he came in, and he sat in the pew, and listened to his first live hearing of an organ played. Following the service, Gordon met with him for quite a while and simply listened to his story. Such a wonderful yet simple example. Hearing a voice opening a door, welcoming someone in, and then listening to their story. For when we hear another's story, how can we not be moved? How can we not love? Who is the Holy Spirit prompting us to recognize? Who are the people Jesus wants us to answer, calling at the door, trying to get inside? What are the stories God is moving us to hear? Where is the door that we need to open in our hearts? Listen again. Hello. How do I get inside the church? I can't get inside. Jesus calls us to action. Make my joy complete. Love each other. Hear that voice, get up and open the door, and let someone in.